This is the 966 episode 88. That's Whoa. a nice that's a nice round number. It is. Two eights. That's a nice round number. I'm trying to see I'm trying to see. By the way, I have what I have in mind for if we get to hundred, I have in mind some some things we might want to do. But I'm also trying to see if I can't piece this, time this out, so our hundredth guess is is a is a is a nice surprise. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. It's, but we're plugging along. It's nice to have the conversation or the, the you know, the the challenge of, of you know, celebrating a hundred if we get there. Our 100th episode spectacular is a conversation with both Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and President <laughs> Joe Biden on the 966. A, a four-way call would be amazing. Um, don't you get you know me up. too well. You know me too well. How do you know that's what I was going to do? Well, for? I knew that you were really close with Joe Biden, but it would be <laughs> President Biden, but it'd be very difficult to get the Crown Prince to join on that as well just because of scheduling. So um, we'll, we'll work on it. <laughs> Um, well, that's very exciting. And, and, you know, and, and if we could get that, I don't have a cat, I don't have cats named Barry and Joe, though, I have to say, I think your, your, your connection is probably more, you know, complete than mine. That would be a good opener, wouldn't it? Hey, I have a cat that's named after you. And kind of looks like you. And actually, Richard, that gets us to <laughs> kind of looks like. um, some of the feedback that we've gotten um, has been really good recently and, and keep it coming, everybody. But um, very, very uh, exciting to hear from everybody. It's awesome. Um, I've been getting a lot of messages about um, this, uh, my third cat, Noodle, who has now chosen <laughs> this as her favorite spot to sleep. And she's been in the last like 10 episodes. And people are yes. like, what is that on the couch behind you? And I'm like, well, that's Noodle. But when you go through these, Richard, you kind of like fast forward and you can scroll through and you and I talk for an hour plus and she doesn't move at all. She just kind of turns over and that's it. So, yes, that's my cat there. She's our third host <laughs> for the podcast. It, um, it probably makes her, Jason, just be in the same room with you while you're you're chatting. I think she's excited about it. I don't know. Uh, she's showing no emotion at this time. So uh, <laughs> really great to hear from, from various listeners across platforms. Richard, we heard from loyal listener Dominic. Uh, both of us heard from Dominic. He uh, commented on what was my error in uploading the podcast. I uploaded the wrong episode number onto – there's a still – that goes on each podcast. So the podcast is published. And then when you listen to your, in your car or somewhere else, there's like a special image that goes on that. Otherwise, it's just a standard podcast image. So I try to put a special image in. Um, and because last week's episode was on the new Via Riyadh, which was launched in an advertisement by Sofia Vergara, I used her as the still thinking it would kind of be funny. And then I kind of realized that it actually, out of context, looks really weird. So thank you <laughs> we, to Dominic had for some, pointing that out. We had out. some odd no notes on that. Yeah, like, hey, what's, uh, what is this? <laughs> Who is this person? Um, and so, yeah, thank you, Dominic, for re reaching out and listening. We also heard from Zamel on YouTube, really enjoying this podcast. Can't believe it hasn't gone viral yet. Uh, Richard, I couldn't agree more. Why haven't we gone viral yet? Uh, we need that. Saudi will definitely be the most futuristic country in the next decade, and you guys are all over it. No personal tax, no recession, high levels of safety, friendly people, and constant growth. Lucian, reading the comments uh, really gives the podcast a community feel. Uh, Zamel from Australia hopes to be there. Hello, Zamel. Thank you for listening. Um, I, I agree, Richard. It's only time before this podcast blows up. So, 
you know? Well, and I, you know, that's a secret sauce that I don't know if anybody has mastered. I guess some influences are mastered, but um, yeah, I don't know if that happens when that happens, but it feels like our, you know, our growth is quite healthy and moving along, but wouldn't that be fun to catch fire? It would be fun. We'd become big celebrities, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as we said, we've, we started this just because we were pretty much doing it anyway. Obviously, we didn't do the interviews, but we kind of did those too. So it's sort of like a natural offshoot. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing this because we love it and because it feels very comfortable and natural and we would be doing it anyway. So it is so exciting to see the numbers and, and followers and listeners grow. It's really cool. So thank you to and all our of timing, you. Uh, you know, Zamo makes a good point. Our timing is is quite nice in, in that we were already dealing with the U.S.-Saudi relationship and as a result, very interested in the region, specifically Saudi Arabia. And so we paid a lot of attention to it, gained a lot of knowledge on it, I think. And and certainly through the newsletters, um, you know, had platformed a lot of good commentary, research and analysis. Um, but Saudi Arabia has never been more interesting. Than mm-hmm. it is today and we've always found it interesting but you know it's active dynamic lots to talk about so it's it's perfect timing it's perfect timing and yeah it's always been interesting and in that context what's happened in the last few years makes it even more interesting and yeah, yeah so it's it's cool to be doing this and thanks to everybody for listening and commenting and if you haven't given us a rating or followed us please do that just so you can get this piped into whatever medium you are listening to or watching us on. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, just a few minutes here, Richard. We will be speaking with the one and only Iyad Albayuk, General Manager of Flat Six Labs, uh, talking about VC in the in Saudi Arabia, which is still in its infancy. Um, very, very, very exciting discussion and really good discussion with him. He's a fellow VC guy, but he's way smarter than I am, and he's right there on the ground in Riyadh. We kind of caught him in between work sessions, Richard. So. You can tell the story about the audio quality is not perfect, but uh, his time is super valuable. So we appreciate him making it for us. He was great. I thought he sounded good. And he's an example of one of the reasons I, I think this 966 adds value. And it's like a promo here we're doing. But, you know, he's a young, dynamic Saudi that you may not have ever heard of. You know, if 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 it, it didn't happen, to, that we found a very interesting, got to know him, and he agreed to join us on the show now twice. Mm-hmm. And we've had multiples of this. And it's really, um, again, people that are interesting, professional, expert at their whatever they're doing and have a really uh, fascinating perspective to share. And, and they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had it if if they hadn't happened to be, you know, uh, invited to join us on the 966. I'm not patting ourselves on, our, on the back so much as saying how fortunate we feel to have been able to do this and to have I mean, it's just always amazing to me. People say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> say, would, you, would you like to come join us? Yes. And, and in many cases, exciting. reaching out to us directly saying, hey, I'd, I'd like to come on and talk about this if you're interested in having me. And we were like, yes, <laughs> we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, really great conversation with him coming up, um, Richard. And let's do it. Let's jump right in. What's your one Excellent. big thing this week? You you may, you recall, I'm sure some of our listeners and viewers may recall, we had Prince Walid bin Nasser al-Saud uh, for episode number 65 last November of the 966. Prince Walid is, is founder and CEO of Mukattafa, which is, um, and, and that was a really extremely in, interesting discussion. And and in large part, not only is Prince Walid, when we talked about, when, you know, he's, he's up there in competition for some of the most interesting men in the world. 
Um, but Mukatafa is interesting because it's bringing a whole new approach. Uh, and it's trying to gain greater efficiency, efficiency in the Saudi economy. And, and if you recall, it's essentially trying to forward collaboration and integration between the public and private sectors. Um, it's set up associations that already has dedicated sector associations for grocers, for uh, restaurants and cafes, for manufacturers, vendors, and also the, the fashion, jewelry, and beauty industry. And they're bringing more on. He's got a background. He had a long background with McDonald's. He he understands markets and he understands the the strength and value of sort of collaborative advocacy. So that's why he's organizing these sectors. And that's why these sectors are coming to him and Mukatafa to say, help us. Um, so I bring him back up and also Mukatafa because they just published their first study. Um, it, it's called the impact of cross-border e-commerce in, in KSA. It's a collaboration they did with uh, management consulting firm uh, Carney. I always say Carney. Is it Kearney? I think it's Kearney, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's, it's Kearney. Yeah, it's well known. So I may have yeah. been mispronouncing it all these forty years, years but, in the kingdom. I think is how long they've yeah, been. Yeah, there, it's, yeah, it's well established and and, and globally too. But mm -hmm. it's a it's a perfect example of what. Mukatafa is trying to achieve. It identifies the key sector, e-commerce, gathers data, analyzes, analyzes the results, and then offers recommendations for policy changes that would contribute to a more robust local, local economy and, you know, and, you know, jobs, upscaling, uh, diversification, any number of things, things that are critical to Vision 2030. But um, so I'm not going to go in depth on the study because I'd actually like and I've already sent a note to this effect for uh, Mukatafa or Kearney expert to join us on the 966 to talk about it. Um, but I will briefly share the findings because they're interesting. Um, so again, this is cross-border e-commerce or e-commerce. And I just gave away one of the major plot lines. The study found that in 2021, the e-commerce market in KSA constituted about 6% of Saudi Arabia's overall retail sector. So that overall retail, retail sector was $92.5 billion in, in, in dollars, dollar terms. The e-commerce side of it was about $5.5 billion. It projects out that this e-commerce segment will grow to about $9.25 billion dollars. Um, and 7.6% of the total retail market by 2026. The problem here is, and this is really valuable info, is that the cross-border e-commerce, so this is e-commerce. So, you know, if you if you buy something online, there's cross-border. So someone in Saudi is buying it from some other uh, e-commerce thing outside of, of Saudi Arabia as opposed to local. I mean, it's obvious, but that's basically what we're talking about. Cross-border e-commerce accounted for 59% of all KSA e-commerce revenue. This is the third largest of cross-border activity of the close to 60 countries that this study benchmarks. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a large number. And the primary reason for this, according to the study, is that cross-border players have a price advantage on same quality products due to differences in the cost of doing business. And I'm going to quote here, because this is sort of the, the heart and soul of it. Quote, local players have 17 to 26% higher like-to-like -like cost of servicing than their, servicing than their cross-border peers. Cross-border e-commerce players are only subject to, subject to customs duties on shipments valued over SAR 1000, which is about $267, are not subject to VAT, corporate taxes, zakat, 
and quality compliance certificate and permissions, permissions which local companies have to comply with. The consumers see this translating into a price gap, which is the key driver to prefer across board. Obviously, if it's cheaper, you know, you look at this and it's, it's more compelling. So, um, so it lays out the context and it goes into detail on why this is happening and that sort of thing. But then it closes, study closes with four specific recommendations um, to create a level playing field. And, and this is starting it's with reducing that $266 minimum duty threshold for cross-border e-commerce. That number, 266 as being your minimum, is actually higher than 90% of the countries that were benchmarked in the study. So I'm not going to go further into it because, I, you know, it, take a look at it. It's not long. It's well done. It's easily accessed. Um, um, but I wanted to shine a light on this because this is a milestone for Mukatafa. This is part of their plan. They wanted to be doing sector studies and industry studies. This is their first one, and it's well done. Um, we want to celebrate and promote that they are taking a new and what seems to be a successful approach to achieving an optimal relationship between the private sector and public policy in Saudi Arabia. And this is this study is one tool. It's a good example of how it goes about its business. Um, so, you know, here's to you, Mukatafa. Congrats. I know you've been talking about this study and, and it's out and I hope it, I uh, hope it gets legs. And it's certainly a contribution to what you're trying to do, which is to bring private sector and public policy, policy closer together on key sectors. And obviously e-commerce is a key sector. Richard, there is a 100% chance that I will be including a link to this in the show notes on both the podcast platform and on YouTube. This is a really good one. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're leaving some of the details of it to be discovered because I've only read a report about the report and I'm re I'm looking forward to actually getting into it. Cause these, these guys do really good work at Mukatafa and, and that they've sort of done a, a JV here or a, a partnership with Kearney is really cool. I just, two cool. points. The first one is Prince Walid, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet in your life and Razan Al Hanouf, just true professionals. They're building one of the best businesses in, in Saudi Arabia with Mukatifa. It's just, it's just impressive, an impressive shop. Um, and by the by the way, sorry, Razan and Al Hanouf are authors of this, co-authors of this this study. Yep, yep. And Razan was just made a partner in the in the firm. So just, I mean, mabruk to them for getting for getting this out. And this is a really important uh, segment for Saudi Arabia. We actually do touch a little bit on e-commerce with. Yeah, I'll buy you in our conversation with him in just a few minutes. Um, but I just thought that this was really interesting, Richard, because um, they talk about cross-border e-commerce, but they also talk about the e-commerce market in general. It's 6% overall of the retail market in Saudi Arabia, and it's expected to grow to reach 7.5% by 2026. That's really interesting because in the U.S., uh, e-commerce is 14.7% of the total market, so more than double. And as of June 2022, Amazon accounted for 37.8% of all e-commerce in the U.S., which is staggering. I mean, that is huge. So it sort of shows that the, that Saudi Arabia is going on its own pace with this, but also that Saudis like to shop in person more, um, which is interesting and anecdotally seems true to me. So, um, yeah, this is this is just a really cool study for them. And I think they have more coming as well. I think this isn't the only iteration unless I'm wrong about that. Absolutely. And that's why I want to get on their train with the experts with each one study and bring them on the 966. But three thoughts. One, um, 
they they put they they sort of announced it and, and put it out there through LinkedIn. So you can find it on LinkedIn, Mukatafa, M mm-hmm. U K A T A F A, um, and you can actually download it from there, uh, which is what I did. Um, to e-commerce, as we know, was was I got a great boost from the pandemic. And absolutely right. Uh, Saudis traditionally like to shop in person and, you know, have traditionally used cash. So, you know, it's changing some cultural habits, uh, but it's got a boost from the pandemic. And obviously it's being pushed uh, in terms of digital initiatives on the part of the government. And three, Amazon constitutes about 95% of the, you know, uh, purchases in this household. (laughs) It's, It's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> um, Richard, I, I think you know this about me, but I strongly dislike buying anything in person. Like, I mean, even if it's like something where you physically have to go and get it, I, I like to buy it online and then go get the like curbside pickup or whatever, if it's available. I just like, I really don't like wandering around stores and I always feel like I'm not getting the best deal because I can't really compare merchants right. or whatever. It's just like, oh, this is what you're selling. Like, how do I know it's not going to be cheaper next door? So it's all, it's always shocking to me when people are like going to the mall to buy something because <laughs> I'm just like what are you what are you buying <laughs> what is it hundred percent it seems like I you know they're like uh, you know for me they're like daylight to a vampire I don't want to go in there and I, you know if I do I feel like I'm wasting my time even if I'm going directly to get something and get out which is the way guys typically shop but yes um and and on top of that you know as someone who keeps the books in my house. If you go to these places, they're just enticements to buy stuff, yeah. most of which you don't need. Mm-hmm. So why put yourself through that? Um, no, so I'm with you 100%. I also don't like to carry cash. So I'm constantly don't have cash. I need I, I need to carry more cash because when I play golf with my buddies, I got to have cash yeah. because I'm paying out. Because <laughs> you're paying out on the uh, on the gambling side of it? <laughs> no, no, I'm paying out on I lost the I lost the, you know, whatever the games were that day. I, you know, I'm owing people money. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I'm with you on that. I have seen no reason to go to a, a brick and mortar place if you don't have to. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot out there on Saudi Arabia's embrace of cashless. I mean, it's like cash used to be actually king over there. And now like my, at least the times that we've been there, I haven't needed it at all. And a lot of people, a lot of places don't take it. And I think they tried to, and I, we, we should probably get somebody on here to talk a little bit about this, but like, I think they curbed it heavily because they wanted to you know, keep track of the money being spent at some of these local shops and where it gets sent and, you know, remittances and all of that. Um, well, but on, I mean, they're just way ahead on it. Well, on top of that, uh, you know, again, another bounce from the pandemic for the hygienic reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when talking with the ad that we talked, that's one of the things we talked about how, you know, are there new, new sectors coming up in terms of uh, uh, investment uh because so much of the early was on this point of sales or, um, uh, you know, uh, delivery e-commerce, you know, a lot, they were sort of a, a lot of the apps that coming out were in the same sector and it was, it was, you know, in that area, but yeah, it, it's changing and changing fast. And, uh, you know, I'm like, we're, we're, we're certainly, you know, examples A and B of, people who prefer a cashless society. Yeah. The only problem with buying everything online is you get everything delivered in boxes and then the boxes just stack up so high 
And I know my wife and obviously my infant children are not breaking them down. So you called me the other day, Richard, and you were like, hey, did I catch you at a bad time? And it sounded like somebody was ripping apart a, another human being. I was like, no, I'm just breaking down one of the 50 boxes that is preventing me from parking in my garage. So uh, I, <laughs> sorry about that. You do. I was talking I was talking with my daughter. We were talking with my daughter the other day and, and she and same thing. You and I do the same thing. It, it seems a waste of time to have a phone call and not be doing things. Mm hmm. And so, you know, you know, that conversation with you, but I realized sort of how noisy it is that I've been doing all this time. You know, I, you know, I've been, I, I'm doing crud when, when I'm on the phone, you know, my daughter was cleaning up the room, moving around and then I'm calling you. You're, I thought you were in the kitchen, but I guess you were deconstructing boxes. I was deconstructing boxes. It's funny. We're the same way in that respect because anytime I'm on the phone, I get up and start walking around. Uh, I don't know why I do that but it really annoys my wife. And I'm like, well, I just can't not. And so the podcast is difficult for me. That's why I'm pointing in every different direction and unplugging cords constantly. And just, true. I don't know why, but, uh, but and yeah. I've infected my kids. Sam occasionally we'll see him walking around the backyard. I'm going, what's he doing out there? Oh, he's on a call. He's, on the he's call. just walking and talking. <laughs> Richard, my one big thing this week, a huge thing this week uh, is the, launch of the SpaceX, which contained a quartet of astronauts to the International Space Station on Monday, which included two Saudis and two Americans. Uh, so just really, really a cool story. We've got um, two Saudis on this on this uh, space mission, and one of whom is the first Saudi woman to be in space. So it's just a milestone and, and really cool. But my one big thing, and, and so there's been a lot on that, not just, you know, in the local Saudi press uh, celebrating it, but also in the U.S. press talking about how this is sort of a big deal. I mean, it's obviously in interesting because of SpaceX and NASA SpaceX collab. But my one big thing this week, Richard, is really just honestly a video about this. It's a, a successful launch congratulatory video from Ambassador Michael Ratney. He's the new U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia. He recorded a video message of uh, congratulations, which is on YouTube. And actually, what I'm going to do here, Richard, is we're going to do a drop. What I'd like to do is play this greeting here. It's really short. I just think it's important for our listeners and, and viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, to listen to it because it's about a minute and a half long. And there's, there's some stuff in here that I think is interesting. So take a listen. Hi, I'm Michael Ratney, the U.S. ambassador to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. On behalf of the United States government, congratulations on the upcoming Axiom 2 launch that will take Saudi astronauts Rayana Barnawi and Ali Al-Karni, joined by Americans Peggy Whitson and John Schofner, to the International Space Station. Many people in America probably don't realize this, but dating back to His Royal Highness Prince Sultan bin Salman al-Saud's record-setting flight on the space shuttle Discovery in 1985, the United States and Saudi Arabia have been partners in space exploration. Now, the first Saudi female astronaut will travel into space, the result of Saudi Arabia's remarkable transformation under Vision 2030, and a reflection of our mutual commitment to scientific collaboration and the empowerment of the female workforce. Saudi Arabia signed onto the NASA-led Artemis Accords during President Biden's visit last July. Rihanna and Ali completed an intensive nine-month training program in the United States to prepare for this mission including training at NASA's Johnson Space Flight Center. Our collaboration, along with courage, perseverance, and a spirit of adventure, 
have made this upcoming launch possible. The entire world will be watching AX2 make its historic journey to the International Space Station. The four astronauts are showing young Saudis and young Americans that not only can they dream about the stars, but they literally can reach them. Minna Kulina, Fisifara Lambri Kiev, Yariad, Mabruk. So that was Ambassador Michael Ratney. Two things I really liked about this, Richard. And then there's one observation I'd kind of like to make. Actually, three things. Three things I liked about it and one observation. One, this is really good diplomacy and specifically really good leveraging of communications and media for the U.S. One could argue that's been kind of missing in the last few years when it comes to the U.S.-Saudi relationship. This video that you just saw, um, and for listeners, you, you just heard it, but this is a high production quality. It sort of has a private sector feel to it. I mean, it was, it was very clear um, and and just well thought out. Just and, it, and it's beautiful. It includes sort of Ambassador Ratney and and a lot of the photos of the launch and everything like that. So it just sort of seemed different than what we've been getting in recent years. It just had this sort of professional congratulatory mention, uh, uh, sort of message of it. Excuse me. And it just I don't know. I really liked seeing it. I think that's been missing. Um, and I think it's really good for the U.S. Saudi relationship to celebrate things like this that aren't the top level, you know, oil security. This is like a U.S. Saudi thing that's good for both both countries. That's just exciting. So I, I liked that. The second thing I liked is he mentions the Artemis Accords, which Saudi Arabia signed on the 14th of July in 2022. Um, and essentially, it just means it's non-binding, but they're participating in the Artemis program, which is an American-led effort to return humans to the moon by 2025 and the ultimate goal of expanding space exploration to Mars and beyond. So he highlights that as sort of one of the engagements between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia that took place. It doesn't get a lot of attention, but is really cool. Um, I think third, Richard, that I think is cool, I say two or three, so three things I liked, is how he... Um, he said in the video you just heard, many Americans don't know this. And then he discussed Sultan bin Salman al Saud, who was, of course, a Saudi prince and former Royal Air Force pilot who flew aboard the American STS 501G space shuttle mission decades ago. And he is now the chairman of the board of directors of the Saudi Space Commission. So just the way that this was done, and it's sort of a way that tells a larger story and add some historical context to the current mission. It shows this is sort of like a leap forward for Saudi Arabia, but it's not the first step into space. And I think that's important for Americans to hear whoever heard this message that this U.S.-Saudi space cooperation kind of has roots that go back decades. It's not like, oh, yeah, we just all went to space together in 2023. It's, you know, there's been a history of cooperation. Um, okay, four things I liked. I'm sorry, I went from two to three to four. Four things I liked. This is the fourth <laughs> thing I liked. This is really short, but one thing I think is interesting and uh, is that uh, Ambassador Ratney speaks Arabic and he spoke Arabic at the end of this video that you just heard, he sent me into YouTube to find videos of him speaking Arabic. And that's cool to see. And that's good. I think more of that will go a long way. He has some Eid greetings on YouTube that I think uh, are really cool to listen to. So um, this is this this is just a really cool video. and I think it was a good moment for the U.S. to celebrate. And I think the last thing that's interesting about it um, is that Ambassador Ratney actually has a He's a lifelong career diplomat, but he actually has a strong communications background. Um, you know, he was special envoy to Syria. He's been a, a career diplomat, um, secretary to the Levant, Israel and Palestinian affairs, 
uh, consul general in Jerusalem, but he has been deputy assistant secretary for international media, overseeing a network of State Department media hubs throughout the world, and was a spokesman for the State Department's Bureau for Near Eastern Affairs. So he's media savvy. He's a, a real communicator. And I think if they, if the United States leverages that more as these sort of wins happen between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, I think that goes a long way for the relationship. So um, this just this video just seemed really refreshing to me. And, and then that's my one big thing this week. I I liked it. And it was I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm glad when we were talking about it, it was important to be one of our one big things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh i agree that was a uh, that that video had a different feel about it is definitely definitely more polished and uh he does a good job on it I, I i you know i would add to to a fifth thing there's a couple of things that strike me about this whole enterprise which i think is interesting i think the really notable thing in there one really notable thing in there is these astronauts trained in the u.s and it does hark back to a long-standing you know, collaboration. I think it was 1985 when Prince Sultan bin Salman, you know, flew with NASA. Um, but uh, it, it, you know, and and so let me link it up with something else, which is we talk a lot about the relationship and how to move it forward. You know, um, Khaled Afala, the Minister of Investment, was at the Qatar Economic Forum, and 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 the news coming out of the Qatar Economic Forum was that the the Minister of Energy, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, talked about you know, you know those folks short selling oil are, are going to feel some pain, and so that was all the news. But he was there too, Khaled Afala, the Minister of Investment, and he 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 said a couple of interesting things. One, he said the U.S. remains the kingdom's biggest partner in terms of capital flow. And he also said it will continue to have significant influence in innovation and technology development, as well as being, you know, financial markets being dominant there. Innovation and technology development. And this, again, it's something we talk about all the time. If it's a competition, this is where we can compete here. And uh, and this is an example, aerospace. And, and it's a particularly interesting example because the whole Axiom space program, which we've talked about on the show before, is fascinating to me. I mean, it's a private sector initiative to build, you know, uh, a space habitat, you know, using the current International Space Station as a platform to build this out. And this is the second mission. This is Axiom Mission 2. The first one went out last year. And so they're that's what they're doing. You know, they're piece by piece, uh, you know, building out this habitat. And uh, while doing very interesting experiments and, and research. And uh, so it, it's really interesting. And it, I do think it's interesting too. The, and I do, between you and me, I feel a little bad for Ali Al Carney. Do you know who that is? I don't. It's he, he's related to the, uh, the astronaut, right? No, Ali Al Carney is the other Saudi astronaut. He, he's the astronaut. Other, okay. Yeah. 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 He's, the, he's the male astronaut. And so <laughs> it's, you know, Rayana Barnawi which is it's notable first you know saudi woman in space she's been getting all the press yeah um i even got a i got a uh i got a great note from a friend who sent me a picture of his grandson who had done a young kid uh who had done sort of a a, a a paper rocket with all sorts of frills and stuff but it had a picture of her on it um so it was really neat but like I said, Ali, who's probably very capable in and of himself, is really taking, you know, second seat to to uh, Rihanna Barnawi, which is fine. Um, but this Axiom, again, project is really fascinating. And and I also think uh, 
we talk a lot again on the show about Saudi Arabia and soft power and uh, how it's putting itself out there in any, any number of ways, you know, sports convening, uh, all sorts of things. This is another one. You buy a seat on this flight. They paid significant amounts of money. There's speculation. It's $50 million a seat, but the, the, and then obviously you have training and obviously it's, it's, it's still a professional uh, operation. And these are real, you know, uh, trained professionals going up. Uh, but it's a smart move. It's a very smart move, not only in terms of developing your own space program, but also in terms of moving along really, really quickly and also getting some very positive public relations. And I, I'm not being cynical about this, I'm, but this is, you know, I'm being the practical. Uh, and one more thing, if we're talking about women and and really impressive things, the person flying this flight is Peggy Whitson. And she's like a, one of the greatest of all times in the American yeah. space program. She's the most experienced astronaut with 665 men and women, 650, 665 days in space and 10 spacewalks. And she retired. She thought she was done in 2017, but then they brought her on for the Axiom program. Uh, and she's back up there and they're doing some fascinating stuff. So she's a star in and of herself. So anyway, it's all, there's so many good, there's the story. And then there's, there's so many other good elements that are coming out of the story. And it's, and, and not the least of which is it's us and Saudi Arabia working together on important technological space. So it's, it's, it's good stuff. Just brilliantly said, this is a good story. Like this is a really good story. There's a lot of good storylines coming out of a larger good story. And I think it's a great point to make because, you know, you don't have purely good stories like this as much, or it doesn't seem like that. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're pumped about this. I'm pumped about this. No, I mean, Peggy yeah, comes out of retirement. She spent two years of her life in space, basically, and she comes back for this <laughs> thing. I mean, there's, like, this the thing goat is, awesome. is back. Yeah. This is like when Michael Jordan went to play baseball. She just she said, no, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was really cool when Jordan went to go play baseball. And I was like, actually, I'm going to go back to basketball and win a couple more championships. <laughs> like, unbelievable. Um, anyway, great story here. Congrats to the astronauts. To, congrats to the space programs of both countries. And good job on Michael Ratney for for putting this video out and, and taking the time to have his team record like record the message and it just I don't know I, I really liked it and it was, it's just nice to start celebrating things like this because the U.S. Saudi relationship is so deep beyond the stuff you read about in the thir third or fourth page of your newspaper it's like it you know so just celebrating these little things this isn't a little thing but you know focusing on these things can sort of expands people's uh, minds of the relationship so anyway Richard that was great. Let's get to our conversation with Iyad Al-Bayouk. Talk a little bit about the VC scene in Saudi Arabia. What do you think? Iyad. The man. Enjoy. We are pleased to welcome back onto the 966, Mr. Iyad Al-Bayouk, General Manager at Flat Six Labs in Saudi Arabia, an early stage and seed venture capital firm in the kingdom, which just a few months ago closed its first startup seed fund in Saudi Arabia with $20 million in backing from LPs in the region. He had previously worked with Sanabal Investments, Arzan, Arzan VC, and other organizations before joining Flat Six. Iyad, welcome back to the 966. Thanks for joining us again. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me back again, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Always, always great to catch up with you guys. 
We've been looking forward to this, Iyad, because I know Lucian's spending a lot of time in the space, the VC space. But this is, you know, it's going to be it, it's going to be an education for me. So I, I, it's, I'm going to school today. So thank you for joining us. Well, hopefully we'll try to catch you up over the next uh, 30 <laughs> minutes or so. Unfortunately, it's 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 still a nascent space here. So well, and we catch hopefully you. we'll catch up. We catch you at a very interesting time, and 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 just as sort of foreshadowing. Uh, I w we want to start with uh, Flat Six Labs in this closing, which is exciting. So we I, we want to get you started on that and and um, you know, tell us about it. Tell us, you know, where it is in its process. But th that's very interesting to us and our listeners. When we had you back in July, and this is for the second part of our conversation, when we had you back in July. You know, this the the VC space was coming off of just a roaring first half of 2022. We get you now, uh, not quite a year later, and it's a little bit of a down quarter <laughs> for for not only the gold, but in the region, uh, but also KSA. So we'll come back to that. But let's talk about the exciting news, which is news was just this closing of of this fund for you, uh, Iyad. Can you tell us talk about that a bit? Uh, absolutely, and of course, uh, it's it's been let's say a few a few months or, or years in the making. Um, but we're, we're glad to get to that milestone. Uh, it came a little bit later than we had hoped. Uh, I guess for that tail end of 2022, things became a little turbulent in the global environment. Uh, and of course, uh, no matter how far away we are, we're not completely immune to some of the global trends that are happening. Of course, with uh, interest rates having some, some value now again, it, it definitely had people recalibrate their asset allocations and, and what type of investments they would like to uh, put to work. Uh, obviously, VC was an extremely hot space uh, in the periods leading up to COVID. It maybe went through a bit of a pause and then with uh, QE kind of going on full speed and full throttle, obviously it saw a little bit of a, a tailwind there. Uh, of course, with uh, people being online during the pandemic, that was uh, a big contributor to that upward trend. But suffice to say, uh, things got a little overheated, as they typically do in these cycles. And uh, the chickens came home to roost towards the end of the year with the reversal of QE in quite a rapid fashion. And of course, um, it, it made high-risk investments, of which, of course, venture capital falls into that bucket. Uh, a bit more susceptible, let's say, to to a pullback in, in some sense. Uh, of course, in, in Saudi headline figures remained relatively strong, at least within historical terms, but nonetheless, uh, we're, we're definitely feeling the slowdown in uh, more than one area in the market. Let's let's talk about flat six in particular and that that close. Where can you tell it? You, you know, and, and we talked about it sort of in advance back in July. Just for our listeners, can you can you talk about it? Give us some details on of it. Of course, and and of course, there um, we were uh, pretty much wrapping up the the initial closing for the fund. Uh, I'm glad we were still able to to get there, albeit a little later than we had expected. Uh, of course. The LP mix was a bit different than we had initially anticipated. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we couldn't be happier that we, we got to that milestone, uh, I guess, in, 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 uh, within good time from our initial target. 
Um, uh, as these things typically go, the first close or the initial close is just the start of the journey. So we're still uh, obviously onboarding some additional LPs. I think there, the, the common, let's say, theme or trend is that we did see the pullback usually come in from tourist investors. So uh, folks who have not uh, traditionally been uh, consistent allocators to the asset class, uh, of course, once, once the dust settled after that initial impact of QE, we started seeing some of the more usual suspects in terms of uh, institutional uh, investors that have a steady allocation to the asset class, uh, essentially revisiting uh, some of the fund commitments and some of the direct investments that they were perhaps considering, including, of course, uh, those that were looking at an allocation to our fund. Um, we still have until the end of the year to essentially wrap up the fundraising process for this uh, vehicle. And again, it's, it's quite unique in the sense that it's 100% focused on the Saudi market. So we exclusively invest in early stage companies that are uh, based in Saudi Arabia. Um, of course, when, when we mention early stage within our context, specifically pre-seed and seed investments uh, that are uh, here on the ground. Um, uh, we've uh, Since then, we've, we've finished our first cohort. So we're currently in that final week of that first investment cohort. So we were quite fortunate to onboard uh, 10 uh, exciting startups um, that operate across a diverse range of industries, of course, all within the tech umbrella, the broader tech umbrella. Um, um, we were quite fortunate to find a good group of technical founders, uh, some with pre-existing experience in the space, uh, some more, uh, let's say, novice, uh, but Again, that's that's really what our program is is there. It's just to cater to a diverse group of uh, founders that are looking to uh, basically launch their their uh, high growth operations. And again, just to reiterate, all Saudi. So yeah, everyone in our current cohort uh, essentially was on the ground in KSA at the time of their application. So that's uh, something that we didn't necessarily. Uh, draw a hard line in. So uh, our mandate is quite uh, broad in that the company essentially intends to uh, operate uh, targeting the KSA market. So most of their uh, operating revenues, operating expenses are essentially uh, generated and spent here on the ground. Uh, that being said, of course, um, um, we were fortunate enough to get more than 400 applications for that first cohort. Uh, despite uh, very limited outreach and, and us basically moving a little bit faster than usual in terms of launching the first cohort immediately after the fund's uh, initial closing. Um, but what ended up happening is that those that were on the ground essentially were able to articulate a much better thesis for their startups, at least within the context of uh, the Saudi market. So uh, the nationalities are quite broad, so not everybody is a Saudi national, uh, although the majority are. Um, but the common denominator there is that most of them are based in Saudi and have been for quite some time, um, uh, at least with an MVP 
again, not something that's typically part of our, our hard line in terms of our uh, acceptance criteria or investment criteria. But again, as, as far as this cohort uh, turned out to be, uh, that was the common denominator. So all uh, companies that at least have some kind of a product that's ready to be launched. And uh, of course, they're all based uh, here in KSA. Um, uh, also, uh, quite a diverse uh, coverage in terms of uh, geography within uh, the kingdom. Um, so currently, roughly 50% of the current cohort is based in Riyadh. The rest are based in other cities across the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So I don't know if it's a tease or not, but I think it's just because you're being generous. I, I'm on your mailing list. I'm sure Lucian is too. So I get these yeah. invitations to these cool events in Riyadh, which I can't attend. <laughs> hopefully but, soon. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> Lucian and I am working on, we're working on changing that hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. Richard. Well, no, but, but upcoming March 29th, you've got your first demo day in Riyadh. Correct. So uh, <laughs> next Monday would basically, be the conclusion of uh, that first batch. And of course, uh, we will have the demo day for uh, the 10 startups to essentially showcase all the exciting stuff that they've been working on to uh, the broader investor community and um, stakeholders that have an interest in anything related to venture capital within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So we're, we're quite excited to, to have that. So you had 400 applicants for this first cohort and you have 10 that you're now demoing at the end of the month. That's, that's amazing. Is the deal flow still strong for, I mean, that's very strong. I mean, are you seeing, cause we just talked about the international financing environment. Are there emerging Saudi startups that need money now? Absolutely. And I would say more so than any other point in time. Um, uh, so much so that I think we even um, start revisiting the need for, additional, um, uh, let's say, scouting um, resources on the ground. Uh, I guess it's, it's fair to say that it is an investor's market or a buyer's market in all sense of that word or phrase. Um, uh, it's, it's, of course, unfortunate for entrepreneurs because it does feel like uh, some of the larger tickets or later stage funding sources have dried up. Um, so, of course, we, we, we get to benefit from that and that we start to see more diversity in those that are applying, for instance, for the second cohort coming up. Um, and it, it's, it's looking like we're, we're quite in good shape to exceed our original number of applications that we received for that first cohort. Uh, so fingers crossed that remains to be the case over uh, our fund's investment period. Amazing. Let's talk about the bigger environment. Uh, and we talk about on the 966 uh, that Saudi Arabia is having a moment. You know, it's having obviously having a moment economically. It's on the upswing when a lot of the globe, the globe is kind of static, if not negative. Obviously, it's had a nice run of oil revenue. It's doing a good job of diversifying some of its, uh, you know, like getting more non-oil income. Uh, but for me, and, and you know, Lucian and I have done this a long time, and we'll do it, a, 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 you know, in a significant time further. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, you know, it, the really interesting part is when the moment has passed, and there's a more difficult headwinds, you know, economic and that sort of thing. It sort of feels like that in the VC sector this first quarter, and and we know the larger reasons: the the Russia Ukraine war, the supply chain limitations, inflation, interest rates—a lot of things that put a damper on the sector. Um, 
you also referenced that some of the folks who are not investing now are some of the newbies, for lack of a better term. Um, is this a bit of a shakeout for the sector? I think it's definitely a little bit of a correction, and there's no denying that perhaps the valuations and some of the deal terms that we were seeing over uh, the 24-month period uh, prior to the end of 2022 were a bit frothy, to say the least. So we're definitely seeing uh, ticket sizes go down. We're seeing terms come, uh, come down to more realistic and more sustainable levels. Um, that being said, though, uh, I think at least I have the view that we did see a bit of an overcorrection at least within the Saudi context of things. Of course, the headline figure looks great with roughly half a billion dollars of, of transaction value. Uh, but again, if you peel the onion back a little bit, you'll notice that all of those were um, later stage transactions. So two were uh, Series C, and then one was basically a, a venture debt um, uh, 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 deal structure that uh, went to also a later stage company. Um, within seed, pre-seed, Series A, uh, Series B, basically uh, Series B, we saw no transactions during quarter one. Uh, series A, series seed and pre-seed saw all significant drops in terms of uh, both the volume and uh, to uh, some degree, of course, uh, the, the quantum or, or the amount of investment going in. Uh, roughly, it feels like an 80% drop year over year. Of course, I wouldn't attribute the pullback in the market as the sole reason there. Another good reason is that it, we haven't had uh, Ramadan come in close to Q1 uh, this <laughs> in, in such a long time. I think the last uh, period we had Ramadan come in close to or within quarter one was back in 1995 to 1998. So it's it's going to be an interesting next few years as far as Q1 figures are concerned with Ramadan essentially cutting through uh, that, that quarter. Uh, so so a lot a lot of factors at play, that's for sure. It's a thing. Ramadan is a real damper. Absolutely. And I think the impact really was felt more in April, more so than any other month, because most of Ramadan essentially was during April. Nonetheless, of course, uh, it, there is a little bit of a, a precursor there leading up to Ramadan where uh, things kind of start shutting down or at least slowing down as people get ready for the holy month. Yeah, it, um, it was a little bit of firestorm. I mean, every year for us, you know, there's got Easter too on the other side and then you had, the, you had <laughs> yeah. Silicon Valley Bank thrown in there. Yeah. So definitely FTX. the banking, yeah. absolutely. The banking crisis did not help uh, at all. Uh, of course, surprisingly, <laughs> some, some of the companies on this side of the, uh, the, the globe were impacted. Um, so it just goes to show the wide reach of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and, and the American venture capital institution, really. Um, so that was that was a little bit of a surprise to see. Um, of course, it, it definitely made people second guess uh, not only venture capital as an asset class, but also some of the more uh, let's say exotic um, cryptocurrencies and, and uh, just some of the more nascent asset classes that kind of emerged on the back of the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency in general. Um, uh, that being said, I really don't think it's a representation of what's to come. 
at the end of the day, we do have quite a significant amount of dry powder within the system and within uh, at least the allocations that are supposed to be targeting the kingdom. So I think it's just a matter of time before we see some activity kind of resume there and, and uh, numbers to pick up once again. Uh, of course, there's always a flight to safety, which I guess would explain why we saw Series C terms or later stage terms that are closer to an exit event or an IPO uh, see the light of day and less, of course, emphasis on the riskier and earlier stages within uh, the asset class. Yeah, closer to a traditional private equity in that sense. Absolutely. Do you see Do you see an increase in M&A this year, maybe as a sort of, uh, I guess, time filler until Q1 2024 when things should heat up? I, th I think we're going to start hearing a little bit about some acquisitions within the space mergers and, and basically maybe some of the less sustainable startups joining the ranks of uh, some of their more uh, maybe resilient peers that are operating in space. Uh, we definitely see a lot of talks and a lot of negotiations between uh, those startups that are, that are maybe in a better uh, cash flow um, profile compared to their peers talking about possibly taking over, even if it's just an aqua hire, basically taking over their products and operations and continuing to uh, support their uh, vendor liabilities and so on. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time before we start seeing some of that uh, get to the headlines and see some uh, transactions basically close. So do you guys have a lot of, um, or now that you've closed your, your fund, are you working now with some international VCs or other VCs on the ground locally to sort of, I mean... Um... It's, it's, it's definitely always in, in, uh, in, in our pipeline in terms of getting uh, the appetite from maybe some of our regional or more international peers to consider investing in um, some, of the, some of our startups. Uh, of course, a, a big mandate or a big thesis that we have in this fund is um, our own emphasis on following on uh, our portfolio companies that perform better than the rest of their peers uh, when it comes to uh, you know, their, their actual financial performance. Um, so we're definitely thinking about taking more of an active role there and uh, maybe taking charge in uh, some of these follow-on transactions and, and basically uh, coming up with the conviction saying that, uh, look, this is a team that we've been observing for the past three to six months. Uh, we're quite confident in our interest in doubling down on them, so to speak, and uh, we're happy, of course, to share our insights there to facilitate someone to come in and take a lead and essentially uh, set uh, terms for, for their uh, subsequent rounds. Um, of course, it's easier said than done when it comes to more international shops. It's still a very new um, uh, region for a lot of um, established investors. Uh, so we completely appreciate that it might take a little bit of time, but Again, I think within the greater context of MENA, uh, Saudi remains the largest market in, in, uh, across many verticals, of course. It, it really depends how you look at it. Uh, not necessarily the largest population, but again, within the context of GDP and, and spending power and, and just market depth, it's definitely quite difficult for someone to have a global asset allocation uh, within this asset class without really dipping their toe into the Saudi market, so to speak. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see that 
come to life uh, sooner do, than later. Do you see, I mean, the, the, the seed program is at that early level and, and you're in tech and tech enabled sectors. And, and to date, it seems to me, again, as a layman, e-commerce has been very active. Some fintech, do you see uh, up and coming sectors? Things Absolutely. Like Absolutely. For the longest time, yeah. it was it was getting a bit repetitive with yeah. uh, fintech and e-commerce plays. Uh, again, uh, both great sectors. Uh, nothing to um, really criticize there, other than it's, it's definitely refreshing to see some new and more innovative business models come to light. Uh, one thing that kind of caught us off guard was um, enterprise SaaS. Uh, that wasn't something that we thought would catch up as quickly as. Uh, it, it seems uh, to be uh, doing these days. Um, and of course, we're seeing also a lot of things that pertain to ed tech, which uh, we've done a few in, in this current batch, uh, along with prop tech and some of the other verticals that uh, maybe in the past were uh, a bit underrepresented. So it's, it's kind of nice to see founders broadening their horizon in, in that sense. And you're seeing that beyond your funds. That's sort of just the environment in general. That there's, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I guess at, at least within the MENA context, uh, definitely. Uh, talking to my regional peers across the five, six labs uh, platform, it definitely seems to be uh, consistent with what they're seeing on, their, on the ground in, in their respective uh, countries and, and markets. What about, and we've talked about it, and, and you know, at the at a higher level, there's all sorts of articles you know, that we we carry in the Susta Review, but and Lucian and I see about all this money coming to the region, and you know, Sanabel, you know, released to the public anyway, or somebody paid attention to it, to who they're investing with, and it, that was a big, you know, that was a cycle in and of itself. Uh, Although you know, folks like you, you have known this for some time. Um, uh, to be honest, not to the extent that, uh, because again, Sanabel specifically went through a bit of a restructuring over the past few years. So it was quite interesting to see uh, them going full speed ahead on venture capital as a NASA class, which is really their, their updated mandate. Um, and again, it, it, as, as you correctly pointed out, it wasn't disclosed at least publicly in, in the past. Uh, but it's it's refreshing, obviously, to see that uh, being uh, uh, basically disclosed, and hopefully uh, encourages more uh, participation in that sector, both in in the local context, regional, and international context as well. Yeah, it shows like a confidence, right, that they're making these big bets into this wide swath of VCs in in Silicon Valley and around the world. So yeah, yeah, Absolutely. it's, it's half, half VC, half private equity, or, or roughly half and half, and investing for return with no local angle. So um, again, it's, it's been a while since <laughs> my Senavo days. So I'm not uh, entirely sure on the recent asset allocation, mm -hmm. uh, but they've always been an alternative shop uh, in, in the first order. Of course, uh, now uh, it seems that uh, in terms of the specifics of their asset allocation, VC definitely takes a much more center stage role compared to uh, maybe previous iterations of, of their asset allocation. Um, uh, so of course, private equity, infrastructure, real assets have always been a part of that portfolio. Uh, and I think it's just being repositioned essentially to focus on, um, at least from the info that was disclosed on the website to focus more maybe on 
up and coming uh, asset managers within the alternative space, again, with a heavy tilt, uh, tilt towards uh, venture capital. So let me ask you a question. You can you can decline to answer yet. You know, I, I would I wouldn't dare. But no, sure. no. well, no, it's got to be interesting on the ground there. Someone who's been in the in the space a long time, and as you referenced institutional investors earlier, and I think by implication, savvy long term investors. I mean, what is the response when everybody and their brother shows up? Um, and, you know, they haven't been around, but they want a piece. Um, it, 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 is in, there in terms of uh, fundraising or in terms of in terms deployment. of both, you okay. know, both deployment yeah. and fundraising you you've got a lot of new faces in riyadh absolutely and, and you know they all want to be part of it and as you know if they're new faces they're kind of late to the the game is still going and it's growing and, and you know you really have to be there but you know some of these are, are late to the game as compared to a lot of their peers definitely are they, are they well again, received I, 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 absolutely. Um, right. <laughs> and again, because, you know, when you look at it from the context of uh, the size of the Saudi economy, if you benchmark it towards uh, economies that are within a similar range or uh, larger, uh, VC as a percentage of GDP is still quite limited. So uh, I would argue that it's still quite early days, despite some uh, players having been active in the market for uh, maybe a decade, if not more, uh, I guess it's it's pretty much uh, new territory altogether. It's, it's different um, factors at play that weren't necessarily there by way of some of the reforms that we're seeing on the ground. So uh, all of that, of course, I would I would argue equalizes the playing field for mm-hmm. both incoming investors and pre-existing investors. Of course, uh, it'll be naive to argue that pre-existing investors uh, don't have the benefit of any previous experience. Of course they do. Um, but then again, uh, it's still quite ripe and quite sustain- sizable for uh, new entrants to, to hopefully uh, have sustainable operations on the ground and, and beyond. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have that, uh, you know, that sage uncle you know, who would, who would say things, you know, the best, the best, time to, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, the, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. what the heck get in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, uh, flat six Labs is a regional platform. Um, we arguably hasn't, haven't been active in Saudi, at least with a captive fund that we manage uh, ever. Um, so as, as a newcomer into the block, uh, within some sense, it's, it's basically what we're going through as a group, uh, and couldn't, we couldn't be happier, uh, to be honest. So, uh, definitely, uh, it's been, of course, a, a challenging experience, much like any other, uh, new setup and a new jurisdiction or, uh, country, but definitely much better than expected. And I think hopefully um, more to come from from others and ourselves. Yeah, what's so cool about what you're doing yet is that you guys are at the earliest of early stage. I mean, the accelerator stage, getting- The in, riskiest of a uh, risky stage. But <laughs> sure, yeah. the riskiest of a risky. But, what, but in order for this whole ecosystem to move from in, in a 20 chapter book, we're in chapter two, we've got all everything in everything in place, the introduction is there. And now it's time to grow in order for it to all succeed. 
the seed stage and the new companies need to form and form locally in Saudi Arabia and and flat six is doing follow on series B, series E all the way to the IPO. What you guys are doing that's so cool is you're there at the very beginning getting these things started. And I think that's what's been missing in the ecosystem so far because it's just so hard to generate that. So well, there's there's been a few uh, shops that have been doing it for for at least um, I, I would argue since 2018. Of course, uh, Sanabo 500 has been. Uh, right. I think they're they're they should be in their third year at this point. So they've been doing it for some time, if if not more. Um, uh, at least in previous iterations, we've also seen uh, some of their global peers like Sex Tech Stars Plug and Play. Uh, be essentially uh, operate on the ground. Uh, of course, there's been some local um, accelerators, yeah. incubators. Uh, Felec Investment Hub is definitely one of the first, at least local, um, locally bred and locally founded brands uh, headed by uh, the grumptious Abu um, Adekhil, uh, one, one of the first uh, players, I would say, in the ecosystem. So it's been, uh, it, it hasn't been um, deserted territory. It's been there. However, I would argue uh, that it wasn't enough for the market size. And uh, hopefully there's there's still more, obviously, for, for other players to come into the space and, and help accelerate that entire ecosystem and uh, generate more uh, founders that are investable for uh, later stages. Uh, of course, our mandate uh, technically ends at pre-Series A. Uh, nonetheless, uh, hopefully there's enough uh, Series A and Series B investors to come, although some might argue that Series B is also one of these areas that can benefit from uh, incoming investors. And I think there's a lot of hope for international venture capital uh, at Series B and above to kind of uh, participate a little bit more. Uh, and of course, uh, arguably, that would be a much more um, de-risk stage for uh, people who are just looking at the country for the first time and, and haven't really operated in, in the region, uh, so to speak. Yeah. This fund of yours, uh, yeah, you have you have uh, the participation of Saudi Venture Capital Company, which subsidiary of Moonshot, small and medium SME bank, essentially. Um, which is a uh, 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 these are these are PIF entities, PIF public investment fund entities. Uh, do you see them? So these are some initiatives. These are some ongoing initiatives that they're very excited about. Do you see them uh, uh, stepping up their participation across the board? And uh, they, are they, they are they feeling this is success, successful formula? Is that something? Well, that so on on SBC specifically, they did announce a much larger. Um, uh, of capital to be deployed over so basically their size doubled uh and, and that was that was announced if i'm not mistaken during q1 uh so again uh, to my point regarding uh dry powder being available in the system that's that's specifically what i'm referring to yeah uh, i'm i'm also quite certain again um to your point about pif entities dead up on the funds uh, obviously, is, is also uh, there as a very key player. Again, one of our LPs in, in this fund um, uh, also have a, a larger mandate and I think are definitely going full speed in terms of uh, allocating to other alternative asset managers uh, within the kingdom and uh, within the regional context. 
and the new uh, CEO as well, right? With Chada. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, definitely uh, some some exciting stuff to come. Um, and yeah, just to clarify, so SVC is not part of the PIF, right? Because because they're under Munshaat and and Chada so the, yeah, yeah, actually, so that's that's all. So SVC technically is is under the SME Bank, yeah. which is which is a new entity that, um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is a subsidiary or at least a program under uh, the 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 new development fund. So um, that's that's a new structure there. Um, of course, Jeddah Fund of Funds is a PIF yeah. subsidiary, and their mandate is to uh, develop essentially alternative asset managers within the kingdom. So you you got you know one of the one of the neat things about your your C program and this is that you you really uh, provide significant assistance and training for these these startups. Um, there's got to be some good stories coming out of that. Can <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm sure you see the whole range of competencies. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you see a whole range of brilliance and ingenuity and and creativity as well. But it's got to be really exciting to be to to, to sort of be part and uh, of this process for these young entrepreneurs. They may not all be young, but certainly their their organizations are their their initiatives. Are quite, quite a few are are young, so we do have. Uh, folks that are as young as 22, 23 years old as part of this current batch. So some I just, are. I just, I just don't want to literally any, any demographics and get a, get a meeting yeah. you know, get somebody who's <laughs> somebody a comment on it. <laughs> so it's 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 always it's always interesting because uh, you essentially end up becoming. Uh, and again, I'm I'm not giving myself any credit there, and I definitely haven't done as much. Uh, and that goes to the team as well in terms of uh, being that, but it does feel like you're a co-founder with them for at least a short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, so you get a, a front row seat to basically everything that they're going through, whether good and bad. And of course, there's a lot of bad as, as is usually normal with business. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty, anxiousness. So um, we kind of joke internally that we uh, our part time job is to be therapists for, for our founders. <laughs> so that's that's always fun. Um, but yes, it's always exciting. It's always interesting, um, especially when we see teams go through pivots and maybe uh, go back to the drawing board and revisit their uh, business and, and operating model in one way or another. Uh, so never a dull moment. Uh, at least during the program, and I'm sure that will continue beyond the program as well. Um, uh, of course, we, we were really fortunate to have uh, quite a diverse uh, industry uh, coverage in this first cohort. Mm. Uh, one thing arguably that we could do a better job at is uh, female uh, founder participation. Uh, so that's something we're really working on for our second cohort. Um, uh, we were we were kind of sad to see that only ten percent of these four hundred applicants were were female, and uh, pretty much everyone was was male in terms of application base. Uh, so we're definitely not finished in terms of uh, you know building up a more diverse and more inclusive pipeline. Um, uh, again, uh, you know anything from. Uh, redoing the entire landing page for uh, one of the startups to revisiting the entire business model we've 
been through over the past uh, few months. So uh, yeah, never a dull moment. <laughs> I this is great, and Lucian, I I just think our timing is perfect. And so what we need to do is Yad, let's let's book it. And we should be back together in I don't know eight to eight to ten months or whatever, because it, it, this is I really do feel fortunate that we had you last July, yeah, and that now you're 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 part of you're part of the nine six six family, like it or not, um, because you've, got, you've been branded. I, I honestly, yeah. I, I couldn't be happier. And again, uh, again, really grateful for you guys giving me this uh, platform, and absolutely, I, I'm more than happy to do it. Every time we finish a cohort. Uh, it'll be a great time to catch up and kind of share some of the things that we've seen. Well, and it's such a, it's such an important journey for the, the country and the larger picture, you know, and so it's good. It, this is great. It, it helps us to understand how things are progressing. And I think Lucian is correct. You know, it's a very early chapter of a long book. So this is going to be fun to read it with you. Ian. You actually, you're the author. You know, you actually, you'll, you can interpret it for us. So this is, this, this is great. Oh, I'm I'm just the messenger, and maybe yeah, uh, maybe your your commentator, if you will. But yeah, the authors are honestly the founders yeah, and our exactly. LPs. Yep. We're yep. just facilitating this whole uh, operation, basically. Yeah. Mr. Yad Al Bayouk, General Manager at Flat Six Lab in Saudi Arabia. Thanks again, Yad. This was awesome. Thank you, Lucian. Thank you, Richard. And again, uh, hopefully, we'll we'll speak soon. That was our conversation with Iyad Albayuk. We thank Iyad for his time, his precious time. He's been uh, working very hard after closing his uh, seed fund with Flat Six Labs, which is awesome. Richard, that was just great. He's just such a good dude and a really great combo. Yeah, uh, Flat Six Labs is having their demo on May 29th, which is bringing out uh, some some of the companies that they they are working with now. Ten, some of the ten companies that they're working part of part of their seed program. Um. So yeah, he's very busy. And like I said, going in, uh, sitting with him is always like going to class. And it uh, once again, same thing. I learned a lot. He really knows his stuff. And the timing was perfect because when we talked to him last July, 2022, um, it was a different kind of environment. And now it's, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, now April, uh, May, 2023, things have changed a little bit and it's good to get a checkup and it's good to understand why they're changing. It's, it's good to get an idea of where it might be headed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Shall we get to yellow? Yes. Yellow. Saudi in a minute. <laughs> Did you bonk? No, no. I just, I wanted to whisper it to get the ASMR crowd excited. Um, I think we <laughs> creeped out a lot of people. Um, <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I do. I do have, I'm a little, yeah. All right. All right. Let me regather myself. All right. We're, All we're right. gathering. All right. Um, yellow number one, Saudi, this is a big, this is a big story. This could have been a, this could have been a one big thing easily. Uh, Saudi Arabia's Neom green hydrogen company has signed deals worth 8.4 billion with financial institutions for the plant. It is building an oxygen in the kingdom's $500 billion uh, Neom city. The equal joint venture between Aqua Power, Air Products, and Neom is billed as the world's largest green hydrogen production facility. It will integrate up to four gigawatts of solar and wind energy to produce up to 600 tons per day of carbon-free hydrogen by the end of 2026, 2026 in the form of green ammonia. The project is being financed with 6.1 billion 
dollars of a non-recourse financing from 23 local, regional, international banks and investment companies. Yeah, we've covered the plans for this on the 966 before at least once, but the announcement here was for the full financial close, which is just a huge deal. Okay. I mean, and you just mentioned it, but 23 banks, investment companies, that's a hell of a roadshow. And that's really difficult to get that much buy-in. So the financial close is, is huge. What I thought was interesting too, Richard, is you know these plans have been in the mix for a while. We've known about it with air products, things like this take you know, months or years to get going and get off the ground. But this isn't just about the financial close happened and that's huge, but construction is already has already begun and is progressing on the site. The CEO of the new company set up to run this um, said, and when this is done, Richard, in 2026, it should produce 600 tons of green hydrogen daily, which is enough to power 20,000 hydrogen buses around the world, it will save 5 million metric tons of carbon dioxide per year. That's a lot. And I also thought this was interesting too. I think it was a report in Owl Arabia, but I may have that wrong, but it cited an issue, uh, another report issued by DII Desert Energy and Roland Berger, Berger. I don't know why I went French with that, but um, which estimated that GCC countries can generate up to $200 billion in revenue and create 1 million jobs by 2050 through investing in hydrogen. So. I mean, this is just really cool, but this was like something where I was like, hey, they're going to do green hydrogen with it, which isn't tremendously economically feasible yet. And they're just going to do it and they'll find the customers and they'll get the financing. And so at the time it was like really ambitious. And now it's it, like a theme we've had. This is happening. So this is cool. It is. And this is one of those things that's layered. I, we can't get to it all. And we're also mm -hmm. not hydrogen experts. By no. the way, we hope to have a hydrogen expert on shortly. Um, yep which will be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so 1.5 billion of this is from the National Development Fund. This is you know, Saudi national, part of the Saudi National Infrastructure Fund. 1.25 billion is the real denominated financing from Saudi Industrial Development Fund. The remainder, the 6.1 million is from that 23 financial institutions and they're from everywhere. They're from Standard Chartered, Abu Dhabi Bank, BNB, uh, Paribas, uh, Saudi British Bank, uh, JP Morgan is in there, um, Korea Development Bank and Credit Agricole. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big spread. And so that's one side of, it. I mean, in terms of the in terms of building a hydrogen market, which a green hydrogen market that, which, you know, is still nascent, you got to have the financing. The other huge element of this agreement is Aqua agreed to a 30 year offtake. So that means there's a market for it. And we just we just heard the uh, energy minister speaking recently about blue hydrogen, basically saying, look, you know, currently it's 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 passing for two hundred and fifty dollar uh, equivalent. You know, it's not competitive right now and we're not going to go into it until it can be competitive. So, you know, again, finding markets is really, really challenging and especially early on, because a lot of a lot of the success of this sector is going to be how these things are structured. Um, hydrogen is not, you know, if you do, if you do solar power, if you do wind power, uh, you know, hydroelectric, th those electrons are the same as anything as crude oil, you know, as, as power. I mean, you, you can plug those into the existing infrastructure. Hydrogen is not, 
it's different form, different shape. It's got to have its own, uh, own mechanism and setup. And so it's also, you've got all these steps you have to go through. You have to establish the renewable power, the electrolyzer, the storage, transportation, delivery. I mean, it's a complicated thing. And you can't even know if it's going to be marketable until you make this commitment, this leap in essence. Um, and then again, like other sectors like solar and wind, you know, sort of between innovation and investment, you just drive the price down and it becomes competitive and becomes profitable. But so we're in this area. So anytime you see a hard and fast agreement for financing and hard and fast agreement for offtake, that's real progress. And it's a big deal to see this. Mm-hmm. Well said. Richard Yella, number two. Saudi Arabia has recently introduced a new work visa known as the temporary work visa, which replaces the previous work visit visa. The new visa is aimed at making it easier for businesses to bring in foreign workers for short-term assignments and should enable employers to resource their commercial activities more readily. The temporary work visa must be used within one year of its issue and allows foreign workers to work in KSA for up to 90 days with the option to extend for an additional 90 days. The visa is valid for multiple entries, meaning that the employees can enter and exit the country as often as they need during that 90-day period. Big deal. I mean, Saudi Arabia is learning less and, and you know, and <clears throat> applying the lesson. If you if you want to make if you want to move quickly, you can't have these bureaucratic bureaucratic impediments. You can't have people uh, struggling to get expertise and staff in kingdom, and you can't have have companies spending all their time trying to find a way to extend a visa and that sort of thing. And we've talked about how easy to get into the kingdom now. And now, you know, again, making it easy for, for companies to, to get people, get them in the country, keep them if they need them. I mean, it's just, it makes good sense. Yeah. It's a good business movie. We have talked about this, Richard, you can't have a travel agency, uh, you know, mucking things up in the middle of it, you know, getting in the way yeah. and all that stuff. And again, like, it, it, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it's the business environment. Next week, we're going to have the CEO of the Saudi um, Center for uh, Arbitration. Commercial Arbitration, yeah. Commercial Center for Commercial Arbitration, which is a which is a huge in making progress there. Again, making it comfortable, easy, reliable, predictable for businesses to come and do business in your country. It's essential to have any kind of success in anything they're trying to do. And Saudis are really trying to you know get on down the road in this regard. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yellow number three, uh, a goalless draw against Leicester City on Monday secured Newcastle United spot in next season's Champions League for the first time in 20 years. A sensational rise for a team on course to be relegated from the English Premier League just 18 months ago. Even manager Eddie Howe, who joined Newcastle in November 2021, has been surprised by the progress, admitting that the Champions League qualification, quote, wasn't something that was on our radar, unquote at the start of the season. Uh, qualifying for the Champions League is a financial boon with each of the 32 clubs competing in the stage, the state group stages this season receiving around $16.84 million, according to UEFA. Yeah, this is huge. This is, uh, I mean, this, this guy, Eddie Howe, Richard, which is interesting, he played for the club Bournemouth. Again, mm -hmm. I'm probably botching that i'm sorry but um he played for that club for most of his playing career and then he took over as manager and he took it from the third tier of the uh english football to the premier league as manager so this isn't his first county fair 
um, when it comes to this. So he's had some success before and he sort of demonstrated it. But um, yeah, I mean, this is relevant to the 966 because Saudi Arabia's PIF is one of the investors in this. So pretty, um, uh, one of the new owners, I should say, in this, along with Amanda Stavely, who's the CEO of PCP Capital Partners. She's uh, she's often seen on the side of these games, Richard celebrating as one of the new owners. So this is just a cool story. And and yeah, I mean, this is exciting for them. She looks just like the lady from Ted Lasso. I'm sure there's no relation, it. but um, uh, I just had to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And she, I guess she's taking lead in some way. I guess the Rubin brothers, there are other, other investors. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you might've mentioned that. Sorry. Oh, I did not. No, no, no. I didn't know that uh, they were. Are they the guys from uh, Carlisle? Or no, no, I don't think so. Okay, um, but I'm thinking of Rubenstein. Excuse me, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but this has been an, uh, you know, uh, Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe was a coup to get him. I mean, when they, when, when they, when the Saudi, when PIF took over, uh, they were 19th in the table, uh, and they were sinking fast. And they got, you know, the, it, again, Eddie Howe was was a fine. And they've been, you know, so far they've been, uh, they haven't been profligate. They've just been smart. It's been well managed by any 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 measure. And to be fourth in the Premier League right now, I mean, they're kicking Chelsea's butt, Lucian. I mean, they're uh, you know Chelsea's at forty three points and uh, Newcastle's at seventy right now. Uh, Chelsea's Chelsea's not going to be relegated, but they're twelve spot. Um, but disappointing for Chelsea. They were favored uh, at the beginning. Of the speaking year, so. of Ted Lasso, West Ham is third is 14th in the table right now. Uh, you know, West Ham and Ted Lasso is, if you haven't seen it as one of the teams that they, you know, it's obviously not the real West Ham, but it's a competition. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, it's been a success and they're, they're going to have to probably, you know, Champions League is more games at a higher level. They're going to have to bring some more people up. They're probably going to be spending some money shortly, but it's been a well-managed operation and, and they should get credit for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can have all the money in the world, but you still have to have a team play together, you know, so they'll, they'll sign some, some people, but I mean, this is credit to Eddie Howe for, you know, getting him into winning shape. Cause you know, it's, Within a, is there a salary cap? There's no salary cap in the. There are some limitations, and okay. I don't know exactly what they are, but they can't just come in and they, you know, uh, and 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 just do whatever they want. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, I guess there's a they're 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 entering into a 25 million pound deal with Sella, which is a, a sports management firm in Jeddah, and I guess it's for their shirts. Sort of like you know, you always see it to hot or or whatever. Um, but so Sela S E L A is going to be their sponsor, and I guess there's limits to this. I don't know. It's you know everything's closely watched because of the, uh, it's just closely watched. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, interesting stuff. Interesting uh, stuff. Yeah, cool. Good for them. Good for Newcastle. Um, yeah. Richard Yella, number four. A major entertainment calendar is due to kick off this week in Saudi Arabia, covering 16 cities across the kingdom where the entertainment industry is experiencing an unprecedented boom. The, quote, Kingdoms Tour 2023 will take place in the cities of 16 cities. Coming up here, guys, strap in. Riyadh, Dammam, the northern borders, Hafer al-Batan, Batan, Tabuk, Hail, al-Qasim, al-Issa, al-Karj, Wadi al-Dawasir, Jeddah, Taif, Al Namas, Al Baha, Jazan, and Abha. 
Well nice. done. Well done, Lucian, for botching every one of them. <laughs> you got to um, yeah. botch all, um, even Riyadh. Uh, the summer <laughs> event running from May to September also comprises concerts headlining such celebrated singers as Mohammed Abdu, Rabe Sakhar, Richard, you really teed me up for a good one here, Asala <laughs> and Khalid Abdurrahman. A set of theatrical works starring leading actors from around the Arab world will be staged too. Hopefully none of these are uh outside during the day because it's a <laughs> summer tour get, get quite hot but interesting oh interesting enough the saudi tourism authority has just launched a rethink summer seasonal campaign which is promoting saudi as a you know it's a unique summer destination for for adventures and explorers and um you know, uh, these seasons, by the way, have been extremely successful. Yeah. And the Kingdoms Tour 23 will be an interesting new thing. It's always good to remember. I mean, the General Entertainment Authority didn't exist, you know, until May 2016. And, you know, movie theaters opened in, in April 2018. I mean, and, and all of a sudden we have, you know, a, a, as many as 20 million people have attended these entertainment events since 2019 i mean it's a huge huge thing that's added um you know qualitatively and quantitatively to, to the lives of saudis but also of, of uh, tourists uh so it's you know it's, it's good for us to do these to touch base because they are big shows big things and they're a huge part of what saudi arabia is trying to do and it, and like i said i mentioned 2016 gea in 2016 and cinemas in 2018 only because it's remarkable when you look at the numbers that have achieved been achieved in such a short time. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is Richard, this is interesting because it's, they don't want people leaving. Like that's the thing is, you know, in Saudi Arabia, people leave in the summer. So they want the, they want people to stay and have a reason to stay. And I think this will give them some of that. I think that they can get some traction for summer tourism in Saudi Arabia. When you talk about Neom and the Red Sea, where the temps aren't quite as hot, but like Riyadh is, you know, 110 degrees now and just getting warmer. Right. So it's, it's going to be, I mean, that's a bit of a tough sell in Riyadh and some of these other places. But I mean, northern borders, for example, Tabuk and then, yeah, like the cities yeah. on the coast, more doable. So, um, yeah, but this is Absolutely. cool. Good for them. And, and this is just, you know, I mean, like you said, the GEA is just, you know, they're, they're new, but they're doing a great job. And, and these seasons have been wildly successful. So pretty yeah. cool. Yellow number five, IHG Hotels and Resorts, one of the world's leading hotel companies with more than 6,000 hotels across 18 distinct brands has signed a master development agreement with Tashid for hotel operations, which will see the development of 12 hotels and 2,500 keys under the Holiday Inn Express brand across the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Known for its success in the upper mid-scale segment and understanding of the quote, next-gen smart traveler, Unquote. Holiday Inn Express hotels in Saudi Arabia will be modeled on specific on market specific research focused on the millennial. There you are, they are, Lucian, and Gen Z Saudi traveler. I wonder if they just took Knight Frank's research, which was amazing on these yes, segments, and just said, "Hey, this is how we need to build our hotels." Um, I don't have a ton to comment on this, but it just shows you how quickly hotel operators are moving into Saudi Arabia to follow on what we just talked about, which is reasons to go to Saudi Arabia are sort of growing beyond just the business. So, um, yeah, um, uh, I consider and myself a next gen smart traveler myself, Richard. So, um, <laughs> next gen, 
Um, yeah, I thought this was good because we had talked about there's, there's a new hotel going up in Alula, but I thought this was probably more interesting at the, for the moment because it reflects a changing demographic. And Faisal Durrani talked about this, you know, the young Saudi travelers. And um, and it's really interesting to see this going up. I guess Holiday Inn Express is IH, IHG's fastest growing brand with currently over 3,000 operating hotels globally. IHG Hotels and Resorts currently operates 39 hotels across five brands in Saudi Arabia um, and with 30 hotels in development pipeline to open in the next three to five years. And and again, this this Holiday Express well, is, is looking for that new Saudi traveler who's young and probably not, you know, may or may not have family with them, but a young family, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um so uh fascinating yeah the one of the best marketing segments in memory is the holiday and express hotels and they, they had an advertising sort of theme in the u.s and it was like the the commercials for it were essentially you know people put into situations in which they were not experts like a doctor getting ready to save somebody's oh, yeah, life yeah. you know and they'd yeah. be like after the doctor saved his life the doctor in quotes they'd be like oh thank you so much doctor and he, the doctor would be like well i'm not a doctor but i did stay in a holiday Inn express last night and the permutations of those were so funny it's <laughs> it's very close to home because as you recall we stayed in holiday Inn express the day before we decided to do this podcast well we did and yes well of course and uh i think Thinking we both we got do phd it. in podcasting from holiday Inn express <laughs> uh their school of uh, podcasting but yeah. <laughs> uh, they are good hotels um and there are several of them in riyadh as well now already i think so or at least one yeah but, yeah I, um, yeah i stayed in one there yeah but that's cool but this is this is really this is really interesting and i'm really curious to know what they mean by next gen smart traveler like does that mean like more usb no, it's, ports it's, or? it's gen z did i say next gen it's gen z it's millennial and gen z smart travelers yeah but the segment they want to understand is the next gen smart oh, traveler. next gen oh i did i put that in quotes um so, it's and interesting. They, so that's just too much so, i mean they're they're targeting the the millennial and gen z and they're looking for the next gen but so i guess they're lumping all those together you with your youngsters lucian so you're nice you're going down a demographic that's right that, you know, that's right they include me i'm i've been lumped down I, that's that's always good for your age you know but i wonder what this means it's like netflix and like you know more chargers for your bones like you know <laughs> but anyway and really cool okay yellow sorry, we dwell on that a little long yellow number six richard and our final one um and this one's really cool the science the saudi science and engineering team arrived back in the kingdom on sunday after winning 27 awards including 23 major and four special prizes at the regeneron international science and engineering fair isef is the largest pre-university scientific research and innovation competition fair with more than 1800 people from more than 70 countries participating the kingdom was also an official sponsor at the event and presented 18 special prizes to the best projects in the energy category this year's total haul increased the number of prizes won by the kingdom at isef to 133 92 major and 41 special prizes since it began participating in 2007. want to take a moment richard and tack onto this read here um dr Saad al flaya's son yazan was there wow uh, which was really cool this is the one in texas so he went with some of his uh co uh, students uh fellow students and he was in texas for i think a week 
Um, and I just want to say congratulations to him because I know he was participating in this. One of the smartest kids I've ever met. So I, I haven't met so a lot cool. of smart kids, but he's definitely brilliant. So yeah, really good. And congrats to Dr. Saad, a friend of our, our both of us. And um, yeah, just really cool. So good on him. Well, you, you've met him since. I remember meeting him in Al-Majma, the, the his son. So that's so neat. Yeah, his son was like, 10 or 11 then and now yeah. he's 17 he's looking to go to school in the u.s um and just really a brilliant brilliant young man so very exciting well this is exciting because saudi arabia likes his metrics but is also extremely proud of its young scholars and they've they've made a point of of doing well in in these international science and engineering fairs and and a, a number of these kids have come through the Mal, malhimba program which is essentially the King Abdulaziz and his companions foundation for giftedness and creativity. It's part of the ministry of education and they'll test across the, they'll test, you know, I mean, many, many students, I think it's close to 500,000 students now and identify strengths and then try and help these kids realize uh, and fully develop those strengths. Um, it's uh, so it's, it, it's a, it's a big program. It's a big push and you can see it, uh, you know, you see the returns uh, in all these awards and all this really terrific participation and representation in these national competitions and fairs, mm -hmm. international yeah, really competitions cool. and fairs. Just awesome. Um, and this is a big deal. This, this program um, at, this was at the K Bailey Hutchinson, I want to say like forum. And it was in, I think it was in Houston. Mm -hmm. I don't have it in front of me, but just, just awesome. And, uh, or maybe Dallas, but, um, anyway, a bunch of Saudis in Texas, nothing to see here, but, and, and, but what's really cool about this is just like, you know, I mean, this is a huge experience for a lot of them to get to present, um, and talk about their innovations as, as high schoolers. So congrats then, to Yazan, which is just so you know, cool. And that's not just from Saudi, 70 countries participating. And I mean, I think the top prizes, I think is like $50,000. I mean, there's $9 million in, in, in prize money, um, you know, overall. So it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, congrats to them. Super awesome. Another nice note to end the program this week, Richard, and I will see you in two days. Yes. At, the Live Golf DC. We get we international get to experience it firsthand. We do, thanks to you and your generosity. And you will get to also see um, Mr. Pierce and Ms. Coco, who will also be, be awesome. in attendance. Very sweet. But yeah, very excited. We will also see Richard Brooks Kepka, who won the PGA Championship last week and then we'll talk a little bit about uh the experience next week we wanted to save it but i just ruined that i'm sorry but um, no it's it okay to see yeah, well yeah. well it, we were we had the discussion so we do it this week and we said let's hold off because we actually have some first-hand experience about you know the the live golf experience which is golf only louder but louder yeah um, um. <laughs> and so it'll be it'll well you know we have it will have maybe something more to add but and we can also talk about the pga and that sort of thing but very it'll be it'll be it'll, this will be quite uh you know interesting and educational weather looking good richard do yes. you have a live golf team yet I, I meant to ask you and maybe i've already asked oh you. uh you know there's some silly names i think there's a four aces or it's just the aces. Um, I don't have a team name, uh, but I'm trying to recall some of them. Okay, so there's, there, Stinger, there's some there's Stinger and there's other there, there's some other ones. I have to, you know, we should since you have Chelsea, which I think is just happenstance. 
in the in in terms of football, international football, we probably should take a look and pick a team. Yeah. So um, uh, it's just funny because like I really like the logo for the cliques. Oh, yes, <laughs> but yes. but they don't really have a compelling team. They don't um, at all. But I had to look up what a clique was. A clique is like an actual like well, club that people used to use, like a rescue yeah. kind of hybrid, I guess. But anyway, exactly. So we'll have to get a team name. But I think maybe we we stay neutral until we get bought out with some sort of sponsorship, so we can improve things like the still images on our podcast. Um, uh, publications here but yeah this is gonna be really fun um and richard thanks for putting this together can't wait to see you and um, absolutely will be great ourselves. and the kids yeah. and sophie and and the kids and sophie it'll be awesome and uh, uh our other guest your other guest yes the former guest of the 966 can we disclose i think we can multiple disclose. yeah 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 uh, uh, David DeRoche will be there as well. He and I are going to have a drinking contest. And <laughs> let's, let's be let's be honest. Is there anything you wouldn't want to do with David DeRoche? I'm so pumped. It's going to be super <laughs> fun. Uh, so thanks for putting that together. And yeah, Richard, I will see you on Saturday and then we'll do this again next week. Excellent. Enjoyed it. Always great. Congrats. Always great. Thank you. Yes. 89 next week. Have a good one. <laughs> you too.